Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Living and Breathing Technology podcast. You're about to join Amina Agarwal as she captures and shares unedited stories of tech professionals as they reflect on the past, foresee the future, and discuss what they would like to change for a better tomorrow. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Welcome everyone to Living and Breathing Technology. I'm your host Amina Agarwal and with me today I have a very special guest. She's Laura Bell. Listening to her story at one of the cybersecurity meetups uh, really inspired me. So really all welcome um, Laura and I'm glad that you are on this show. Thanks for Thank you so us. much. Thanks so much for having me Amina. It's uh, really uh, a wonderful chance to come and have a chat. I love having a chat, so uh, uh, hopefully we'll have a great conversation today. And then thanks for taking our time uh, out of your busy schedule. So I wanted to check with you that how did you get into Infotech? If you could give us a little bit of background where you come from and what led you to in, into cybersecurity industry? So sure. I, I, I'd love to be able to say that I had this, you know, really planned out career and I was, you know, 11-year-old Laura wanted to do it. It wasn't like that at all. Um, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I thought I was going to do multiple foreign languages and I was going to go work in Europe and, you know, save people from European law. Um, and like most people's lives, my life has kind of had its own wobbles and turns. And uh, when I was 16, almost 17, um, I found that I needed a job really quickly. And in my hometown, there weren't really many options. You could go work for McDonald's, which perfectly respectable, good management training scheme, or there was this apprentice program in software development. And I, I, I'd used computers, but I'd not written any code. I was not a, an engineer of any sort at that point. And so I went and gave it a shot and they made us solve puzzles and things at interview. And I ended up as an apprentice software developer. Um, now from there, I studied in night school and I ended up completing a degree and all those kind of things. And I graduated and became a Java developer. So, you know, hey, listeners at home, don't judge me, but Java developers are cool too. Um, now, I liked engineering, but I actually found I was really good at finding bugs. And so my boss at the time, he's like, we really like you, Laura, but could you stop doing that, please? It's, it's really annoying. Um, and if you can't, if you tried the security team, they're over there, and they were literally in a basement. And he was like, well, you could go and work for them instead. They find bugs all the time. That's their jam. And so I kind of very kind of sidestepped, really, uh, into being a penetration tester. And that was, ooh, too many years, 20, ooh, almost, ooh, yeah, too many years. Let's say it's post-15 years ago and, uh, and not feel too old. But uh, it's been a while. And now... I've kind of come out the other side and I'm part engineer and part security person. And I live in this world where my mission is to try and make security something that all software development teams can do all on their own. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice, uh, nice go through, walk through of your journey. And I'm, I'm feeling really very curious as to how you were finding bugs and then getting into cybersecurity into pen testing and then just, going through your journey into becoming an entrepreneur. So uh, talking about 
like about your job as day to day? Do you like pen testing more or being an entrepreneur more? <laughs> I think, to be honest, um, and some of my mentors say that I'm fundamentally unemployable. Um, I I have. I come from a long line, a family of tinkerers, of people who we don't like finding problems that we can't fix. And so we fix them. And I don't mean, you know, we solve world peace, but, you know, that bike that doesn't work or that thing that makes a strange noise. My family are the people who get stuck in and figure it out. And for me, that instinct, that kind of nature that's in my blood comes through into wanting to solve problems that were inefficient. So as a pen tester i would write the same report month after month after month for different customers every time because i was seeing the same problems again and again and again and it was basically a problem that wasn't being solved and so i am really happy now that i'm using my kind of tinkering problem solving skill set as an entrepreneur to try and make sure that we're not repeating that same thing over and over again so i i enjoyed being a pen tester it was a really great few years but I think I'm where I'm supposed to be now. Oh, that's exciting. Um, and I am really uh, fascinated about how you, you know, was a risk consultant before then or a pen tester before then and came up with this idea of fixing something that was not yet um, innovated in a way in cybersecurity. And you came up with this idea and had your own company. So did, did you face any challenges being a woman? Did you... Did you ever feel that, you know, um, I created this idea, I am into this space, but whether I will be welcomed or not in cybersecurity mm. as a woman? I think that's definitely a concern that a lot of female founders have, especially in uh, an area like cybersecurity, where it is predominantly um, men running companies. And I think some of it is because I think I spent a lot of the early years of my career trying to be like other people. You know, all of the role models, all the people out there, they were all guys and they were all very different to me. I, I'm i quite unconventional as a security person. Um, I, you know, my company is very empathetic. We're all about trying to understand not just how to fix problems, but how to do it in a way that doesn't cause any more harm, that respects all of the people involved. Now, I also, you know, to put it very simply, I put my, my heart is squarely on my sleeve. Um, I, you know, I like to speak very honestly and authentically in everything I do. And so I've spent a long, long time trying to squish that version of me and make it really small and quiet. And it wasn't actually until probably, I'd say, three or four years ago that I really started understanding that being a female founder isn't about being accepted and being like all of the other founders out there. It's about understanding the power you have because of who you are and it's uh, different every time we're all strange and different creatures but understanding and using that as what makes you strong and so I didn't encounter any challenges but I did waste a lot of time trying to figure out you know would I belong or would I fit in or would people welcome me and I think to be honest maybe I'm just getting older but screw them Make yourself welcome and use who you are as a superpower. Oh, that's amazing. That's why I get so inspired by you each and every time I listen to you. Uh, and I hope all the women entrepreneurs who are looking or are listening to this uh, would be inspired too. That make your own way, be strong, and don't don't feel whether you will, will you will belong or not. You will carve your own path somehow. Yeah. So don't worry about yeah. that. 
Absolutely. And the one thing I will say with absolute authenticity is it's not going to be easy. Nothing that's worth doing is easy. Um, but you're probably a lot, lot stronger than you think you are. And one of the things that, you know, makes some founders really exceptional is that ability to be learning all the time and to be resilient. So to have grit, that idea that you can fall over and go, all right, yep, OK, that wasn't ideal. What can I learn and stand back up again? And I think many of us do this in our lives all the time. So you can use that as a strength when you're growing a company. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great tip here. Um, and we should go by that, be strong, and just just believe in yourself, I would say. Just believe in yourself and what you're doing. Trust yourself more. So um, coming back to your, your entrepreneurship or your idea, so I had always this question in my mind that how can one start with an idea and create it into a business? Like if there is someone who, who is just uh, wishing to start a business and has an idea, what is the first thing or first few steps that they should take mm. um, according to you? Yeah, and, and, you know, it is only my opinion. So, you know, there's lots of other people who speak very wisely about these kind of things. But I think probably one of the most important things that, you have to do is remember that what you're proposing is a business and not just a great idea for a product. And for it to be a business, one of the most fundamental things you need is a customer. And so if instead of building, don't write a line of code, don't, don't build a thing, go talk to your network, go talk to your friends, go talk to people you've never met before. You know, send an email to that random person you respect but have never spoken to and ask them, Okay, hey, here's the problem I'm, I, I'm trying to do. This is what I do. But tell me about your world and try and find where what you think is a problem meets their world and how that could translate into something that has a value. And now, you know, it's not a big, you know, statement about everything has to have a lot of money and you have to generate a lot of revenue. But it's you put a lot of energy into building something, a company or a product. It's going to sap so much from you. And so you need to be really, really certain going into it that you understand that what you're building is a commercial thing. It's not you. You are not your product or your company. And if you start really early on by separating that out, by making sure that there's a customer and you're building something to a need that somebody has, then you're going to find it much, much easier to preserve that energy and sustain for a long period of time. Because you'll know that that direction isn't just about you. It's about a problem for someone else that you can see. Yes, and um, by saying that, I also remember that um, with the idea, there's a perception always to create something which is unique, which is, you know, which the customers don't know about. Do you think it, there should be only a business or a new idea which is unique in itself, or it can be something which, which can be replicated, which can be, you know, different than the other or an additional feature? So... We always, I, I uh, talking about my personal self, I, I always thought, oh, these are new businesses coming, like, for example, Canva, for example. Uh, the, it's, a, it's a unique idea, and uh, it's not completely unique, but it's, it's, it's quite uh, easy, user-friendly to use, and uh, lots mm -hmm. of features. But having said that, do you think that idea should always be unique when you start a business, or can we generally so so my husband is an artist. Now, he doesn't make a lot of money off art, and very few artists do. But 
the one thing about living with someone who makes art for a living um, or for fun is you start to realize how nothing in the entire world is unique, nothing at all. Um, we, as a species, we have built our entire economy's entire way of life around taking something that already exists and trying to make it a bit different or a bit better. And so once you kind of step back from the idea that what you're doing has to be unique, then so long as you're not breaking any laws or any patents, just go for it. Because if your vision of that thing, even if it is something that's been done before, appeals to a new group of people or solves a problem in a way that is easier to use or is easier to kind of use long term or integrates better with your, the rest of your life, then it's still an improvement. Um, so, yeah, you don't don't stress too much about whether has it ever been done before. Has it ever been done the way you want to do it by you? And that will make it different all on its own. Excellent. Wow. Excellent views on that. Um, so I have a question in regards to great resignation. And I'm, I'm sure lots of employees won't be able to speak about it because of um, working in a company. But I'm asking this question to a CEO, <laughs> to a director of her own company. So according to you, what are your views uh, on employees leaving a, an organization because they have a better idea of creating solutions which can serve the people mm -hmm. better? Well, I think the last two years has been really important for most people. Um, it's been hard, undeniably hard for so many groups of people. Um, but for those who have come through it and out the other side, um, speaking for myself and most of the people around me, it's been a period of reflection, of kind of prioritizing, okay, well, I've had this period where I haven't been able to go out much. I haven't been able to spend a lot of money. I haven't been able to see my friends and family. And you started to understand what is really important to you. So if, you know, you've been working from home, having more autonomy than you've ever had, working in your pajamas every day, and that has actually been your happiest, most productive you've ever been in your life, then for most people, the idea of going back to that less effective, less productive uh, way of working, it won't appeal. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a carpe diem sort of thing going on where one of the things I've always said about running my company was, I would rather look back in 10 years having tried something and go, oh, it didn't work out, but I gave it a good shot than to look back in 10 years and go, I really wish I'd tried that. Because as long as you've got a roof over your head, food on the table, and you've got the people you care about around you, then actually the rest is all just window dressing. So I spend your life doing things that you're passionate about, that you enjoy, that you know, maybe make the change you want to be in the world, but don't waste it on somebody else's dream. If you're working for a job that just is sucking the soul out of you and you've got an idea and you have the ability to go and try it, do it. And when I say ability to go try it, for those people who are like me, who I have two young children and an old person I care for, so there's no like running off and not having a salary for two years for me. That's not a thing. So many of us have constraints and you can't just quit your job because you need to earn money to have a roof and food. So don't use that as a blocker. You can find ways to get this to work around a job until the point where it can support you. And yes, it's hard, but just think about the bravery of that and of how important it is that you're giving it a shot and trying. Because if you don't, then wonderful things never happen. 
Absolutely. You are absolutely correct that one should just follow along the passion or um, whatever gives them happiness and don't think about money or anything else much because at the end of the day, you are here to live happily, to um, be happy. So give yourself a thought and um, don't worry about anything else. So just talking about um, taking care of uh, someone who is senior to you, you, you always mention in your talks, and one of the talks that I heard, which was in person, you mentioned that you had one senior person in your team, which had you know, brought a diverse perspective to your team. And one of the other talks you mentioned that the age matters and we all grow old um, and the technology changes, which is very right. So according to you, how is it changing for you? Do you think you are uh, getting too old and technology is much ahead from you? Oh, Amina, you asked the the the, the uh, hardest questions. Um, I think uh, even just a year ago, I just said no. I'm I'm I'm. It's all fine. But I think I've already started to find the lines of where technology and me will part ways. So I've I've made myself a promise. I will never live a life inside Meta or a virtual reality world. Just because, to be honest, I love the ocean too much. And, you know, being outside and, and in nature and, and growing things and playing. And, and I think for me, if we get to that point, it won't be my generation's turn anymore. At that point, you know, there is going to be another generation after me that have more energy and more enthusiasm. You see the world differently to me. I think for me, the important part is less about me doing technology forever, but finding any way I can to make technology accessible to people of other ages. So, you know, a lot of the technology we build right now isn't built for people who are old, over 50 or who have different needs. Now, I wear hearing aids, so I'm becoming increasingly aware of, you know, the technologies that don't work for people who have a hearing impairment. The same goes for visual impairment or people who just have wrinkly fingers. Um, they can't use the touch sensors on their phones very well anymore because the wrinkle shop is two fingerprints. Um, for me, I think the next stage for me will be less about being at the bleeding edge of new technology and more making sure that the core technologies we all rely on are as accessible as possible for as long as possible. Oh, yes, that's, um, that's amazing that you are um, actually, you know, are worried about what like the present the present times and how things are changing your body is changing and how in you know technology should also change uh, and adapt to these things so uh, talking about uh, technology and you mentioned this that you know we, we you know technology should be innovative as much as uh, as body is changing and our needs are changing so with the senior citizens or the people, elderly people, how do you think that we can do better with technology? Are there some ideas or anything that you'd like to share? I think for anyone who's listening who is in the engineering space, for me, my breakthrough moment was really sitting with somebody, not telling them what to do, but just seeing how they interact with things. And when you see it just in fractions here and there, you don't really understand quite how complex it can be um, to just operate for things we take it for granted like for myself 
I use things like Google Pay and Apple Pay, and I use various chat platforms for different people. I'm talking to you today on a streaming platform from my laptop uh, that's talking directly into my hearing aids over Bluetooth. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on there that I just take for granted every single day. And you all do that in different ways too. So if you can sit with somebody in their world, in their tech world, and just kind of see, you know, how that works for them, I think we all kind of get a bit stronger. Things we can definitely do better at. Our interfaces suck when you um, make them bigger. So one of the things you do, you lose as you get old is your eyesight goes, whether it's dramatic loss or just a gradual loss. You'd start making things a lot bigger and you start wearing your funky reading glasses and, you know, you rock the old older person thing. It's cool. But if we build all our interfaces to fit on a tiny, tiny phone screen and never get enlarged, then suddenly these become harder and harder and harder to use. Same goes with, you know, our color schemes and our visual effects. A lot of this is down to user experience, but we put a lot of experience uh, professionals onto taking away friction for people aged 20 to 35, but not about the people later on. Now, remember, when I say old folk, I'm not talking about like old folk who sit at home all day and don't do anything. Old folk are wicked active. Like these are the people who are on dating apps. They are the people enjoying the life as much as they can. They are buying their Tesla and they are going to ride it. So we're talking about not, you know, oh, it's five people and they live in a nursing home. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of millions of people all around the planet who are living longer and want to enjoy that to their full. And that's a very exciting space, not not a sedate kind of old person space at all, not how we sometimes think of it. Yes, oh, no, that's, that's great. And I see that most of the people who enjoy the most are the senior folks. Um, and, and I was having a chat with my neighbor who is in her late 60s and she seems to enjoy a lot, like reading book and having the wine, a glass of wine over the weekend. And she just has this, has her own sort of enjoy enjoying moment. Um, and I think we perhaps with the younger families don't get that much of time than than them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I have a three-year-old. There's no way that I'm going to get you know an hour to read a book and you know catch up with my friends online. Um, so you know. I think that sometimes we, we spend so much time on this, this chunk that are our age group when actually there's a lot of really interesting things going on either side of us. Um, so I'm quite excited to see where technology goes for that because, um, you know, there's so many opportunities there to do amazing things. Yes, uh, absolutely. So talking about having managing kids and managing your uh, third baby, which is Safe Stack Academy. <laughs> so what does a day look like for a busy lady like you? How do you manage and juggle all of these together? So this is a bit where I'm going to dispel all of those things that you've read about in those, you know, how to be a 10x entrepreneur things, because I just, I don't buy into it at all. Um, I get up at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, I probably get up at half past seven, but my three-year-old doesn't believe in mornings. And so she will just appear and launch herself onto the bed. Um, uh, get the girls ready for school. We have breakfast together every day, um, which I really enjoy. Um, they head out between half eight and nine o'clock um, and I start my day. I actually 
in my day have blocked out times for wellness. I have a, a mid-morning one, an afternoon one, where I drink a cup of tea and have a bit of a meditate sometimes, but mostly I just drink tea and eat chocolate. Um, and then I have my lunchtime one where I do exercise and have some lunch. I finish most days about half past four. Um, and I do some kind of things that I think they're probably a little bit nerdy and lame, but they work for me. So I have two mobile phones, for example. Um, one has absolutely no work things on it at all. So on the public holiday weekends and evenings and my team know they can ring me if it's urgent, but I'm not there on my Slack at 10 o'clock at night. That's not helping anyone. The thing that I learned the hard way, I learned by you know falling over and very nearly not getting back up again, was that you have to look after yourself when you run a company. Um, you're going to run really, really hard for every hour you're at work, but every hour you're not at work, you belong to your family or to your hobbies, and those are what's going to give you the energy and the reason to get up and do that hard thing every day. So for me, actually, I have a really quite cushy uh, life. I have an amazing team who equally do lots of things with their families, and hopefully it will continue for a long time yet. I love it. Um, we should take time out for ourselves and for family for sure. And talking about setting priorities for ourselves is quite important as well. Yeah. So for for anyone out there, how do you prioritize the things? You 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 know you keynote, you are a speaker, you do presentations, then you're running a business as well. Then you're looking after two young kids as well, and your husband mm -hmm. and a senior member in your family. So there's a lot of things going on and it's quite similar to what I do. I would yeah. like to gain that perspective or for other listeners who are in this on the same boat, like how do you prioritize um, things? And I and I learned something new on your pre past podcast, which was released last week that you love to write. So how do you do all of that? How do you prioritize that? Uh, yeah. So I have a few golden rules. Firstly, anything that takes me away from my family has to be a priority. So I have to be able to say if I was to put these two things on a scale, that what I'm choosing to do instead of be with my family is more important at that time. So for business things that, you know, is it going to help the company grow in a way that can't be done any other way? Um, does it have to be in that location at that time? Um, so I kind of do all of that factoring in. And when I do choose to be away from my family, which isn't that often, but it does happen, they know that I'm there to focus, to get the job done, and only for the period of time I need to be there. So I'm not there to mess around because I've made that call. And at that point, the business was more important for that second and I have to get back to them. Now, the other thing that I do is, and I'm not so good at it, you know, in all honesty, it's definitely something I have to work on as an active thing, is I've got things I know I do because they matter in the business. I've got things I have to do because I'm a mom and a wife. And I have things I have to do. Well, I don't have to do them at all. But I want to do them because they make me happy. And so that's dumb things like painting my toenails once a week. And I do a silly puzzle, not Wordle, um, on my phone every day. And it's, it, you know, it kills about 15 minutes, but I enjoy doing it. I read the trashiest books you can possibly imagine in 10 minute chunks around things. Um, but I, I know the value of those things to me. And without those things, without any balance at all, then, you know, it's really easy to get burnt out. And so 
as cheesy as my you know little routines are they just help me be really there for the business and for my family because each one has got its time and place awesome do you have movie weekends with family and getaways with family or do you enjoy reading blogs still on still being with family do you do that <laughs> well no actually if i look at this weekend just gone on the thursday night about seven o'clock we were like don't want to be here this weekend so we went camping for a weekend um didn't take any devices with us at all um i went and bruised my leg quite a lot on the stand-up paddleboard and we got back last night um, so we try and get away completely away whenever we can it's never anything too fancy it's always just in a campground or you know we don't have a huge budget because you know I'm, i'm the breadwinner for the family so but we just try and be together as a family and just there for each other so if we're there we're we're kind of focused on each other that's amazing that's lovely to hear that you still get out, get some time for yourself and your family it's amazing yeah admittedly it's in 5 minute chunks around the place you know uh, the the days of me having a whole weekend as a you know laid back with a glass of wine and a box of chocolates and doing my own thing they're long gone but i i really appreciate all of the moments that i create for myself so yeah no absolutely one should do that and if you are not if if we don't do that then i think the whole thing of earning livelihood and being happy is all lost in creating yeah. something for others not for yourself as well so um now talking about um we're talking about livelihood entrepreneurship uh, and lots of other things what is what is the one achievement in the past few years that you're really proud of today one achievement i know you started business and everything but what what is one achievement that you so i'm going to caveat this and say i'm excluding from this list having children and stuff yeah let's just park that but um they're wonderful i love them uh i think for me it will be setting up the safe stack apprentice program uh which we finally kicked off in february this year um so that created three entry level positions for junior software developers and security engineers to uh, i'm based in fungarei in northland new zealand so the very top of new zealand we have very high unemployment and there aren't many tech options for careers so it was really important for me to create a program that was creating roles creating training and opportunities and giving people who would normally have had to move away from their families uh to do that something they could do locally and we we welcomed two women and one man uh to our first cohort and they're doing such a great job i'm so so proud of them and so uh touch wood that will continue for some time to come amazing no that's awesome i loved it um so how can one apply for that program is it publicly available or is it just time centric like it's just open for some time and then you close it how does it work so at the moment it's our first year so we we've got three people for our first year and i think much like academic programs we'll probably look at doing an intake in february each year um but we're going to kind of we're learning a lot in this first year about how to structure it so i imagine that we'll kind of refresh that and update it as we learn but i'd imagine it'll be february time um and that works quite well for the people who are you know juggling other life commitments like kids in school and stuff get music and line up the term times with them kicking off this new chapter of their life so you know that's exciting 
um i i know that you have been doing it for quite a while now like six plus years i guess because uh, i remember each and every word that i heard during that uh, women in tech meetup that day uh, i'm not sure still why but some some inspiring stories are stuck you know are stuck with you forever when you hear them and one of the stories that was i heard was with from laura bell at that time so it's completely stuck with me and that's why i remember all the words coming through um so you doing amazing work helping you know students getting into cyber security uh, doing your business uh, as a unicorn as a women leading in cyber security so that's amazing um so laura i also wanted to check with you if you could show us some stickers that you have or uh merch that you have and <laughs> i'm also quite interested to get one because uh, i my sticker i had lost that i got that that day so how can we get that how can someone get those stickers and merchandise well so the easiest way is to find us at events so i don't actually have a physical t-shirt they only came back from the printers on friday last week uh, but they are going to be amazing so watch the social media there will be some pictures very very soon and there's two designs um one that's a bit space themed and one that's a big amazing machine um but I, i'll i'll leave the rest for you to find on social media but do come and track us down the other thing that you can do is you know come and drop us an email we are looking to talk with development teams and young companies all around the world so you don't have to be based in new zealand uh, you can be wherever you are in the world uh, i would love to understand how software engineering works all over the place so in return for your time on a call um i can always swap a sticker or we even have some limited edition enamel pins coming so you know there's there's some very exclusive merch here so just drop me a line on social media or laura@sixstack.io and we can hook you up thank you so much laura for sharing such a lovely insight into your world into your life as well as um into um and entrepreneurship entrepreneurship whosoever is entering into the field in cyber security or being an entrepreneur just believe in yourself as laura says like i believe by hearing her story i i hope everyone does that and thank you so much laura for joining in and being yeah. here guest on my show thank you so much for having me amina and you know to all of the people out there who are listening um starting a new thing building a thing whether it's you know a community group you start or a company you build or a product that you decide to develop yourself it's really hard and it can feel really really lonely so the one thing i would say is reach out and find community reach out to people like me because when i first started out a lot of people gave their time to kind of give me a virtual hug and you know help me feel confident and so a lot of us now do the same for others so please don't be a stranger please reach out i'd love to meet you all Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Living and Breathing Technology podcast with Amina Agarwal. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.